But as soon as it started, I just had this feeling of this is not like other Halloween movies. This kind of feels like what David Gordon Green really wants to do. Just aesthetically, it has style. Something I love about that first movie, I mean, and I think this kind of sets the template for Halloween movies in general for me, is that it has atmosphere. Like it just, everything feels heavy and like Michael Myers is seeping into everything, even though you don't see him a lot. And that movie felt like, the, the Halloween ends felt like that for me, even though you really don't see him a lot. And this, like you feel more of the omnipresence and his shadow over the town and the effect it's having on other people, which I think is what the film is about, or specifically the effect evil has on other people. I met him 15 years ago. I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no conscience, no understanding in even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply... For over 40 years, the Halloween series has thrilled and terrified audiences. From its low-budget origins to spawning a new era of slashers. The franchise remains a cultural touchstone around the world, often referred to as the Gone with the Wind of Horror. From the first chilling notes of the iconic score to the final frame, join Joel Brown as we explore the iconic horror series, digging deep into the characters, the storylines, and the spine-chilling scares. Welcome to Talking Shape with Joel Brown, the ultimate podcast for Halloween franchise enthusiasts. My next guest is a playwright and a podcaster. You can hear him on the Stephen King-inspired Loser Club podcast and my new favorite horror podcast, The Halloweenies. So in the spirit of Halloweenies, who do I have here? This is Dan Dracula Caffrey. <laughs> I don't know if you're expecting a Haddonfield related nickname or my usual purposely dumb uh, nickname that I use over there. But uh, yeah, did, was that was that the right yeah the right g- choice? Give it, give us a Haddonfield one. How does that go? Oh gosh, uh, okay, let me because I always try to do an alliteration. So let's say uh, Dan Deputy Hunt Caffrey. That's what I'll do. <laughs> what would yours be? Because you got yeah, you got good. you know Jane to be in there. Oh God, I, I, you put me on the spot. I, I didn't even think about it. Um, I, I'm I'm actually drawing a blank. Can you help me? Can you help me craft one together? What Joel Jack O' Lantern Brown? <laughs> uh, I'll take that. That'll be my uh, ongoing uh, pseudo name of uh, El Halloweenies. But, I mean, uh... <laughs> Joel uh, Joel Jamie Lee Brown. I mean, there's I yeah, guess there's a bunch yeah, of them. We're, yeah. We'll probably think of something really good. Yeah. No, but Dan Caffrey, thank you for uh, taking the time to uh, speak with us. Now, um, listeners who may not be familiar, you've got two podcasts out there. You're a big Stephen King fan, which is the uh, Loser uh, the Loser Club podcast. But uh, the Halloweenies that I came across, I think oh, it would have been maybe last year or the year before. Correct me if I'm wrong, the Halloweenies, was that inspired? Did that come all together due to the remake of Halloween uh, 2018? And you're like, all right, let's 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 look at all the films in the lead up to the release of the 2018. Is that how that all came together? Or give us a little bit of a backstory on Halloweenies. Yeah, I mean, that's 100% right. Um, gosh, wait, yeah, so 2018 and 
that came out Halloween of that year, obviously. So I think early on in that year, the Losers Club had been around for a year and a half, two years, maybe. I think we started in 2016 and it was doing really well. Uh, we were lucky enough to have found an audience at that point. And I, I, I think we were maybe, I, I, I might be wrong about this. I think we were maybe just starting our Patreon and we were trying to think of other you know, side shows that we could do. That might that might be wrong. I know that synced up around the same time with it. Either way, we were trying to think of ways we could branch out. And also, Stephen King has a finite amount of material. I mean, he still has a lot of material, and we're good for a few years, right? But um, you know, you want to think of how you can expand with any podcast you have. And the new Halloween movie had just gotten announced. And I don't know if you remember, they had that big spread with uh, the photo shoot of Jamie Lee Curtis in the shape. Um, it was like her laying with him in leaves, and. Early on, there wasn't a ton of information about it, so we were just all pretty hyped, and there was live anticipation leading up to it. So we said, "Yeah, let's just uh, let's cover the Halloween series, just because we figured there would be a lot of crossover in our audience. I feel like people who like Stephen King have a good chance of liking Halloween, and it was just supposed to be a one-off um, where we covered all of the films leading up to the new one, and we really liked it, and it did really well. And so uh, Mike Rothman, um, who's the producer of the show and kind of the founder. I think it was his idea to do a different franchise every year. Um, so I think season two is Nightmare on Elm Street. And then I think we did Friday, uh, Friday, Friday the 13th after that. And yeah, here we are today. And, um, you know, it it's interesting because there's still plenty of horror franchises we can cover, but I do think we're getting down to it. We're like, we're running out of like the big bads, right? Like, I feel like we've done sort of the Mount Rushmore of slashers by this point. Um, and you know, next season we're, we're doing alien. And so that's not a slasher. I mean, some people might not even call it a horror, but we feel like it's a franchise that has a lot of meat on the bones. So we're excited to tackle that. Halloween, which we're going to touch on uh, very shortly has so many different timelines and um, pickups and whatnot. Aliens kind of similar. I mean, you know, the, the latest Prometheus and alien covenant, and we've got a new uh, thing coming out on Hulu, which uh, I'm very excited about what what is canon what's going to be canon with you guys because obviously we have the alien versus predator are they going to be canon or is it just really just the alien um series yeah we had talked about doing alien versus predator um or doing we had actually talked originally about doing the alien movies and the predator movies sort of concurrently and then obviously them overlapping with uh aliens versus predator and and uh requiem um and we decided not to just because that would be a really long season right so we're just sticking to the alien movies uh, for right now. Actually, you know what? It's funny. I'll have to look at the text there. I'm trying to remember if we are doing Requiem and Predator and the first Predator. I don't think we are just because I guess technically they are canon, right? Like, I mean, you see the Wayland yutani Corporation, all that, but they feel like such outliers if we're doing this kind of clear trajectory. So I'm sure we'll do something with them down the line, whether it's a Patreon episode or um, maybe we do a mini season on the Predator movies. Although at this point, there's like, how many Predators are there, including the AVP movies? Could be like five or six, right? Yeah, be close. So you got the yeah, the original uh, two uh, AVP, which is uh, that's four. Then you've got the really oh, actually Predators, which was was actually oh that's cool. right, yeah, yeah. Uh, then the Predator, which uh, honestly I thought was just the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> um, and they obviously kind of redeemed themselves with Prey last year. Yeah, no, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I guess we could do a whole season on Predator theoretically. Um, yeah, I thought Prey was awesome. I, I'm like a, I'm a, an apologist for the Predator. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I watched it on, I watched it on an airplane though, so I don't know if that's fair because I feel like sometimes you're more charitable, to, charitable to movies that you watch on planes because 
you have limited options, right? Although yeah. at this point, I feel like every plane just kind of has HBO Max and that's or Max, um, and that's it. But yeah, I, I watched it on a plane. I, I was like, oh, this is pretty good. It feels like a return to form, but no, no, nowhere near the level of Prey. I thought Prey was excellent. Well, in my opinion, I felt the whole movie, which I thought was just not that great. I felt it could <laughs> yeah. it could have it could have re- redeemed itself right in the final end if it just had Arnold Schwarzenegger just rock up and just even just uh, didn't have to say anything, just had to be in a frame. Of, like, oh, it was a great movie. But, that would have uh, been super cool. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny they didn't really do any big franchise flexes like that i actually like i'm kind of a fan of that alien versus predator requiem movie that movie goes really hard i mean it's like really short and nasty and it's i guess story-wise it doesn't have a lot of redeeming qualities about it. it's pretty bleak but um you just see some freaky kills in that movie i don't know i just sort of i sort of in, enjoy that one like uh i, I don't know i not to get too gross about it, but there's that scene in the hospital where like the pred alien is going and impregn- impregnating yeah. pregnant women with aliens and these aliens are eating the babies. I mean, yeah, I know not everyone wants to see that and I don't blame them for it, but um, I respect a movie, a horror movie being that gutsy, you know? So, uh, but yeah, we'll have to save that for another season, I suppose. Could be 2024. Uh, the Halloween is covering the alien franchise. You guys are oh, semi, semi close to wrapping up uh, the Chucky franchise. I think you're on to about the seed of Chucky as of this recording. And then there's obviously uh, a couple more movies. Are you guys going to be covering the series or, or is it just the, the films? We're going to do the series. Um, have you watched the series? I don't want to spoil anything. I, I just finished watching the second season. It, uh, how would how would you think of it? Good, bad? Um, uh, I, I think it's 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 absolutely ridiculous, but it's in kind of yeah. it's in kind of line with what the Chucky franchise is, though, right? Totally, yeah. I mean, yeah, I loved it, and um, part of what, I don't think this is spoiling anything. Part of what I loved about it is how it really ties together the sort of two or I guess three different phases of the Child's Play series. Like you have the first three, then you have Seed and Bride, and then you I think Curse and Cult are kind of their own thing. And I felt like the, I didn't know if the show was going to do that, but it really did. I mean, it, it just wove everything together seamlessly. So we kind of felt like we had to talk about the show just because it, in this current moment, feels like such this capstone. And I think it's resulted in a lot of increased popularity for Chucky the past few years. I was at my niece's uh, ninth birthday this past fall, and there was this uh, one of her friends was there dressed as Chucky. It was like this little girl, and I thought that was awesome. I mean, it's weird. It, it's weird having kids idolize serial killers these days because like i love these movies but when i was a little kid like that age i i just thought michael myers was really scary like he wasn't some big cuddly figure to me and now i feel like we have all these videos of birthday parties where they hire instead of a clown you hire michael myers like a kid goes up and hugs him and it's so funny to me because i was so scared of him and chucky and all those guys and so it's funny now to see these kids like sort of look at them almost as the way they would look at Barney or something, I guess. So, um, yeah. So anyway, we have to, yes, yeah, so we have to record seed, which we're doing next week. And then we'll have an episode each for uh, curse and cult. And then I, we haven't discussed exactly how many episodes we're going to do on the show. I know for evil dead, I think we only did one or two. Um, I don't think it would make sense to do like an episode for every episode of the show. Right. I think maybe, maybe we have one episode to talk about all, or maybe we divide it by the seasons. Um, but with this one, there weirdly is a lot to say about it, just in terms of tone and characters that come back and everything. So, um, yeah, we're very much doing the show, and I think that's going to be a good finale for this season. I'm uh, secretly hoping for now. The name eludes me. Who played uh, Andy in uh, Child's Play Three? What was he? I always remember uh, him as the guy from uh, Superman, <laughs> the TV one. show. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that. Yeah, he played Jimmy Olsen, right? In no. Superman, <laughs> uh, Lois and Clark. Yeah, um, classic. Ah, oh, man, I. 
we did. I mean, God, we did a whole three hour episode on it. I should know this, right? But uh... but, but reg- <laughs> regardless, I feel like even if it's just some stupid cameo, I feel he he needs to be introduced to that season because it's season three, Child's Play three. Some keep some form of um, consistency there, and whether or not, like you know, it's a, a multiverse of Andes or something. I don't know. That could even I, just complicate it. But yeah, that's what I was just. Yeah, his name is Justin Whalen. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I mean, it's something that's really fun about this. Uh, both seasons of Chucky uh, and spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the show, is that they they're getting into these multiple Chucky's, which is apparently an idea that Don Mancini had for a really long time. And you know, it's a show about. Uh, transporting your soul and they do that pretty easily on the show now which is kind of funny because it used to be such an ordeal in that series and now it's like oh no we've had the internet we can figure out how to do it mm-hmm. so with that in mind i feel like yeah there is a way to have justin whalen come back and maybe play some kind of incarnation of andy i feel like they should because they've been so good about bringing back pretty much everyone else who's prominent right um yeah. I, f- I feel like it's only fair that they give him his due and look everyone knows child's place three is not the best but I don't, I don't hate his performance. I just don't think he's given much to work with. I mean, that script is just a, a bit mid, as we talk about on the episode. Um, so yeah, that would be cool if he if he came back. I'm just looking at his Wikipedia right now to see if he has any like. I, I don't know if he, but I don't think he acts much anymore. Um, last thing he was in was 2009. It looks like, but then again, um, uh, the other Andy actor hadn't acted in a while either. So. You know, I think I think Don Mancini likes bringing these people out of retirement a little bit to give them give them another shot. Let's talk about Halloween. How did uh, how did you get introduced to the Halloween franchise, or was it was it uh, the original film, or was it kind of like myself, like half cut halfway through uh, the car chase scene in number five? Uh, how did how did Dan Caffrey <laughs> get how did Dan Caffrey get introduced to Halloween? Yeah, so um, it was the original. Um, I was about 11 years old and living in Florida, Newport Ritchie, Florida. And our home, I don't know if this is a thing in Australia, but homes in Florida, most suburban homes have a big like sliding glass door that looks out onto a pool or whatever. And we lived right on the edge of this nature preserve. So our we had our back patio, but just looked out into a bunch of swamp. And it, we we did have curtains, but I usually left them open. And my dad was just really good about recommending and my mom too, about recommending movies to me growing up, but horror movies were kind of my dad's specialty. And I had seen commercials for Halloween as a series because, uh, did you guys have blockbuster video in Australia? Yep. Blockbuster video, video, easy, easy video. Um, <laughs> oh, so, so, so we used to have the ones where you would go to a bottle, which is where you go to buy alcohol. Uh, and there'd be like a kind of pseudo like video store attached to that. We had all sorts. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. We had grocery stores like that too. Um, yeah. So blockbuster at the time was selling like these blockbuster editions of all the Halloween movies up, up to that time. So the first six, and or maybe the first five i can't remember if six was out yet but and they would have this commercial and all they really showed was like oh all the halloween movies on vhs at blockbuster and they just showed this like slow motion shutter speed version of michael sitting up and looking at jamie lee curtis at the end of the first movie the big iconic shot right and i just kept seeing that on tv and wondering about it and i was asking my dad a lot about like well what is halloween who is michael myers why i couldn't tell from tv if it was a mask or a face because of how it's designed and so my dad would just tell me about about Halloween, and I remember, uh, be, for some reason, the way they they uh, presented that shot with the shutter speed and the slow motion, it like made the room look different. And I remember thinking it was like a Frankenstein monster 
leaning up on a slab or something. Like I thought, I thought there was a part that was going to take place in a laboratory. I don't know. But anyway, I, so I was just very intrigued by this movie that I really knew very little about. And so my dad would tell me about the first one, what the plot was. And I remember specifically we're in home Depot one day, I was just accompanying him on an errand and I was asking about Michael Myers and you know, what does he use to kill people? And he's like, well, in the first movie, pretty much a knife and some rope and that's it. And I'm like, well, how, how does he kill people? Because I knew that he didn't run. I'm like, well, you know, if he just walks, how does he kill people? And my dad said, oh, well, he gets them into places and situations where they can't get out of. And that really chilled me just hearing that. And so I kind of kept asking him about it. And then finally one Halloween, he rented it for me and he rented it for me on a night when him and my mom were going probably to a Halloween party um, for their work or something. And he was like, okay. And my and my sister wasn't even there. I'm not sure where she was. She was probably on a trip somewhere. So it's just me in the house at night. And my dad's like, all right, you know, you can watch this movie. And I watched, uh, yeah, I watched alone by myself with that big sliding glass door, just looking out onto the swamp with the lights off. And I mean, you've seen the movie, you have a whole podcast about it. I'm sure you love the movie. I, I do think it's almost like this drug-like effect when you hear the opening notes of that music. I mean, it's like right away and it just, it hits you right and it was weird because it made me think i'd heard that the halloween theme before but i don't think i had but it was this weird familiarity about it and yeah i mean for lack of a better word it just scared the shit out of me watching that movie alone with a window looking out into the forest um in suburban florida and uh, yeah just it just had such an effect on me to the point where if i walked to my friend's house next door who lived literally just two doors down um I'd have to run home because I was so afraid Michael Myers would get me. And I would look anytime I saw any kind of like white light, like street lamp, whatever it was on the street, I always thought it was his mask. Um, I think that's a big part of it too, right? It's it, you know, I don't know. I'm not so afraid of seeing like Leatherface in the woods. Even though I love Texas Chainsaw and I think that movie's frightening as well. I'm not I'm not so worried about like running into Pinhead or Freddy Krueger, like all these kind of outlandish figures, even Jason to an extent, because he's got all these weapons and the mask and whatever. I think with Michael Myers, he's so plain looking. He's just got these coveralls, he's got this mask that could probably be a face. It could be a light. It could be anything. I think that kind of commonality, the mundaneness of it almost is what really got to me. And the fact that it's a movie named after a town, New Jersey shot in Florida or shot in California. That's supposed to be in Illinois. It kind of gives Haddonfield this like every town quality about it. So even though I grew up in Florida, I felt like my neighborhood looked like Haddonfield and it just, stuck with me and hit me and uh yeah and then i just consumed all the all the all the other movies right after that and my dad didn't want to rent me the sequels because he's like oh they're not good they're not good you're not gonna like them but i like made him um and then i think h2o was the first uh the first one that came out like while i was a halloween fan so that was the first one i saw in theaters um anyway that's a a long preamble but yeah that's how i got into the halloween movies no it's uh, it sort of um coincides as well like because i think like i said i think i was at my nan's place because me my sisters and cousins would all stay at my nan's because she uh, lived in like this park that had a like pool so we'd go swimming over the summertime and rent movies and my cousin Mark, I think he what he hired like Halloween four, Halloween five, and like we came in halfway through like Halloween five. So having no real sort of background, but just knowing of a white mask and obviously kind of similar to the first one, it just finishes with him escaping and just being out there, and it just freaked me out. And I think that coincided with the release of uh, Halloween H two O. Same one, yeah. Are we the same age? How old? How old are you? I'll be thirty nine in a few weeks. Uh, 30, 36 next year. 
Okay, cool. Yeah. So that, yeah, yeah Ichio would have been the first one for both of us then. Yeah. And like, I don't know like about you in America, but like, I mean, as a kid, you, you, you know, th- things are bigger than what they really are. But I just remember seeing the, the Halloween H2O trailer on TV. And I'd be like, oh my God, this is going to be like, so, cause I mean, dimensions, like they were so good at cutting a really good type trailer, right? Oh yeah. And um, I was just like so excited and I'm pretty sure then we went and hired like basically at least the first one. And then would go on to hire the the sequels and um Halloween H2O was the first one that I um I saw I saw in uh, a theater which was uh, which was amazing, but I guess with the original Halloween I I, I think have you and you you would be kind of similar were we were we watching the original Halloween wrong because we knew there were sequels we were watching it hey we're watching a Halloween movie instead of we're watching a John Carpenter film. Like, does, does that make, does that make sense? Does that make sense? <laughs> no, yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, hmm, that's a really good question. I mean, at that point, this is funny thinking about this now. No, 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 that's not true. I was going to say, I think I'd maybe seen escape from LA before I saw Halloween, but that's not true. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think when I knew who John Carpenter was like beyond Halloween. Right. Um, so I guess I technically I was watching it wrong because I didn't so I didn't care so much about who the directors were at that time and any kind of through line really. And it was weird too because I obviously the sequels have their issues and um you know five has a lot of issues, but I still really liked five when I saw it as a kid. Like as a kid, I didn't take huge issue with any of the sequels. I mean, six was kind of hard for me to get through just because of the convoluted nature of the plot and the production issues, but I but I love six now. Um so it's funny because I think I was just looking at it like okay, cool. If it's Halloween, I'm in, you know, whereas now, yeah, if it's Carpenter, I'm in also. Um, I mean, I, I probably saw the thing not too long after that. And I remember Escape from LA came out um, not too long after I first saw Halloween. So, but that, that's not a great movie, right? But but still, I started to kind of become aware of him. Um, I'll say the Halloween was the gateway. And then I think I started to become aware of who John Carpenter was. I didn't even know that he had done the the score in that first one, even though it was so effective. And I think that's what's amazing about the Halloween movie is you're like, oh, hey, that's John Carpenter. He also did this. He also did this. And they're like, hey, did you know he did the music? Like, it, it, I feel Halloween was just sort of this pot of knowledge that kind of just spurred off. But I bring up the, hey, we've been watching it wrong. Like, because I kind of watched the first one knowing, oh, yeah, he's um so-and-so's brother. But again, how the first one was presented, that was never the intention. And sort of um, only recently watching uh, Prince of Darkness and how, you know, John Carpenter-y that is. And that's kind of like a back to basics, like no no big studio involvement with him. And I absolutely loved that. And it kind of reminded me of Halloween. Like Halloween was just supposed to be that one story in that suburban town of Haddonfield, right? It wasn't supposed to spawn like this mega franchise. And that's why why I say, have we been watching it wrong? I mean, obviously it's a franchise and their sequels, but just watching it, hey, this is a John Carpenter film by itself. Yeah, it's funny because, but I guess that'd be impossible, right? Because yeah. like, I, I mean, the way I was introduced through Halloween was um, seeing this blockbuster commercial that revealed there were six of these things, right? And so it's, I mean, I would love to have been around around in 1978 and being able to watch it just as this kind of standalone vision, because it also predated outside of the universal horror movies, which had some sequels It kind of predated the, you know, multi-sequel slasher era that has stayed in place pretty much since Halloween and Friday the 13th. Um, so it wasn't even like that would be expected back in 78, right? Like I, it wasn't, I don't, I don't think it was a thing of, like when you see him walk away at the end or you don't see him walk away, but when you see him not there at the end, 
the norm in those movies and in horror in general wasn't, oh, cool, he'll be back and we're going to have to come up with some creative way to explain how he didn't die. I think that's why it was so shocking because it was a horror movie, but horror movies tended to be standalone and it had such a baller ending that I've, I imagine it was even more effective seeing it back then and, and just you, you even though there you didn't expect sequels you probably had more of a sense that he's still out there right like because the last note we see of him is this breathing that gets louder and louder and circles the speakers and all that and so it's it's interesting because it's like the first movie didn't need a bunch of other movies to say that he was still out there that was like how they were going to do it instead so yeah i mean i i wish i could watch it that way but yeah i don't I, See any logical way to do that unless we come with time travel. Yeah, I know it's use of Men in Black, um, uh, erase it. And, and I'm not trying to say erase the, the sequels. I'm, I'm just saying, like, for so long as a kid, I was watching it with, hey, I know that he's the brother of Laurie Strode and he's after her for some weird family thing. But uh, just the pure form of, no, this is just some random guy that uh, escapes um an asylum and is stalking and killing these babysitters and it i think it's a it's a real sort of um the simplicity of halloween um which sometimes gets i guess lost on people yeah it's and it's funny because even the new series which i've i've come to appreciate a lot um especially with the third one uh i i was a bit critical of the first two but even the new series trying to do that because they try to do that right by erasing the whole bloodline thing it still doesn't even quite work because Michael Myers is just such a thing now. He's such an icon. He's such a he's so baked into this series that even they couldn't help making him this big deal by the end of the third one. Even though even though he the whole point was supposed to be like, no, we're bringing it back to basics. No one knows who he is. Like they didn't really stick to that. And on one hand, that's the filmmakers, right? In the studios, they could have stuck to that if they want to. But on the other, but on the other hand, it's like that's kind of hard though, because it's Michael Myers. Like there's no, even if the town is acting like he's not a big deal and it was the simple thing, we as the audience aren't going to feel that because we've been waiting so long for this new Halloween movie. So it's like you're butting up against a weird kind of thing when you're working with that kind of uh, pop culture like icon, if that makes sense. And the thing I love about Halloween 1978 is obviously it went on to spawn so many imitators and other horror franchises like Friday the 13th was like the, I think the mantra for that was just copy uh, Halloween. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. that obviously was a, a great formula for them. And then, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger. But do you think Halloween, and I mean, us as mega fans will probably say yes, but do you think overall just for most moviegoers, do you think Halloween is held in a different, is held to a different standard than other horror franchises because it was like one of the first of its kind at the time? Yeah, I think it, I, I definitely think that Um, because if we're talking Halloween, I guess when I talk slashers, the, the ones that come to mind, like the franchises that come to mind really, right? It's Halloween, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, you could throw a Texas Chainsaw in there and, um, you know, scream some other ones like that. But I think those are the three, like the the three big bad, right? Uh, big bads, right? And I do think it's held to a higher standard. And I, I really think it's just because that first one is so good, almost from a prestige viewpoint. I use that word a little bit facetiously. But I think what I mean by that is that, for lack of a better word, cinephiles, right? Not just horror buffs, whatever you want to call it, love Halloween. And there's such care in the composition of it. And I mean, right. I think it's in the, the, the you know, library of Congress for being culturally, aesthetically or something significant, right? Maybe nightmares too. I'm not sure. 
so there's, it has that going for, it. I think just the, the quality of the movie right now, there are people who would argue that nightmare on Elm street is a better movie. Maybe there's something to that. I think nightmare on Elm street is a, actually the stronger franchise through and through. Like, I don't think it has as many weak points as Halloween. It certainly doesn't have the diverging timelines or whatever, but I think Halloween is held to a higher standard a, just because of the quality of the movie. And once again, it's for that, in my opinion, the simplicity, I, I think it's really easy for people to be scared of Michael Myers. And I don't know. I, I don't necessarily buy this. I think a lot of people say, oh, well, the mask is just, it's blank. So you can project whatever you're scared of on top of it. For me, it doesn't go that deep. I, like I said before, for me, it's more just like the mask looks like nothing. So it, it like, it looks like a, a light. It looks like a sheet. It looks like a human face. Like it, 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 it's easy to replicate that mask with just everyday objects in a way that is not so much the case for some of those other slasher movies. And even though nightmare takes place in suburbia, um, Jason, for the most part, takes place at a campground. I think the suburbs are so ingrained in Halloween and the idea of small towns in a way that maybe is not the case for those other horror movies. I, I feel like those other horror movies almost have like so much wider of a reach in terms of the cities and communities they go to. And also because Halloween, at least to, <laughs> for a certain amount of time, um, before we get to like you know four, five, and six, it doesn't really have any supernatural qualities about it either. Um, at least for a while, and so I, th- I just think there's a realism that there that allows people to relate to it. And I think the more you relate to something, the more you love it, the more you expect from it. You know, um, yeah. So I think it is held to a, a higher standard, even though there are, like I said, I I, I definitely think the Friday Thirteenth is the worst of the franchises we I just mentioned, but. Nightmare, I think, is probably the strongest of the franchises, but there's just something about Halloween. I don't know, man. It like just gets into it just gets into your bones. And I think the I just think the way people are are afraid of Michael Myers is much different than they're afraid of Freddie or Jason. I I mean, do you feel that way? I don't know if I might be talking out of my ass here, but no, no, I do agree. I also agree with we do project a lot of our own fears because it is like the the plain white mask. It's like a it is like a bit of a canvas. But I do, I, I, yeah, I, there's something that I can't describe about what it is that's scary. But I do feel there's like I'm I am projecting my own fears, which might be different to your fears or the other person next to me watching the film. Final wrap up on seventy eight. Um, I think I heard the dead meat. Um guys they sort of said uh when speaking to john carpenter that he had a very working class kind of um <laughs> yeah vibe to his um films like the in, in, in the in the people and that did you sort of pick up on that oh 100 i've never interviewed john carpenter but um mike has on our podcast mike Rothman, several times in fact and he, the whole the whole joke is like oh he won't talk about his craftsmanship in movies but he'll talk about like basketball and video games and shit like that i mean it's like a joke it's almost like a like a part of his aesthetic at this point. And it's funny because even though Halloween, I think is viewed the first one is viewed as this very artfully made film as far as he goes. Yeah. He, he seems very unpretentious. Um, Like Wes Craven, you know, who I love his work obviously, but if, I don't know if you've ever read any of the, uh, his like the actual scripts for, for his screenplays. I mean, he goes into some really pretentious territory just in the action. Like I read the script once for the Hills have eyes he's talking about like some sex scene i think between the husband and wife and he's just describing like oh their pelvic cavities sinking into the ground and feeling the energy of each other just weird like pseudo intellectual college bullshit right and i say that as someone who i I love i love academia i love (laughs) um i love reading uh um highfalutin essays and horror and all that i'm not saying there's not a place for intelligence or intellectualism but I do think Wes Craven maybe had a bit of a pretentiousness about him just in terms of how he viewed the world. And and that's why some of his movies are great, right? Like Nightmare, 
is surrealistic and deals with, uh, you know, mental health and psychiatry and all these things that like, I think he was interested in as a guy. And so, so I don't, I don't say that to disparage him. I think that was a great strength of Wes Craven, but also it can go the other way sometimes and just get a little goofy. Right. John Carpenter to me doesn't strike me. I mean, once again, don't know either man, but uh, John Carpenter to me doesn't strike me as that kind of person for him. I think it was like, no, we got to get the job done. What do we have? Cool. William Shatner mask. Let's, let's see how that looks. It was very much more about making this on shoestring budget with his friends and, yeah, yeah, they're taking that blue collar kind of approach. And I think a blue collar approach is good, especially if you have visionaries behind it, like him, like Dean Cundy. Because for them, it wasn't about any kind of credibility or intelligence or showing off. I think it was like, well, how can we just make this as, as good and scary as possible? Um, so yeah, I, th- I definitely pick up on that. He, he had an interview recently where he talked about why he left Hollywood and doesn't make movies much anymore. And he said he saw David Cronenberg at, something like a festival or an award ceremony and he like went up to him because they're friends like david kronberg like didn't really acknowledge him and then he just kept referring to himself as an artist and whatever and john carpenter was like really turned off by that and he was like oh, i just i knew i was done then because i just don't want to view myself like that and, and look i love david kronberg who knows if that story is true but i i thought that anecdote said a lot about john carpenter it's been four years since Michael Myers vanished without a trace. Hello. I was certain that I saw him watching me. You pretend like you moved on, but you're actually just obsessed with death. What are you gonna do when Michael comes back for you? Cause he is coming. But this time, something feels different. He's more dangerous. You came here to kill me, so do it. Let's talk Halloween ends. Yeah. Now, we're coming in, obviously, a third installment of part of a trilogy, but um, we kind of set offline that, you know, we both love Halloween ends. Uh, and you know, kind of redeemed the trilogy for a lot of people, and then some, not really. Just off the top, why does Halloween ends rank high for you? Oh man, where do I begin? Right? Hey, listen to our Halloween ends episode over the <laughs> uh, Halloween. No, but for real. Um, oh God, all right. There's a few reasons. I, I like you. I rewatched it recently in preparation for this. Um, first and foremost, it's just different. Like, I, I know that might be reductive or sound like I'm simplifying it, but as soon as it started, I just had this feeling of this is not like other Halloween movies. Now, different doesn't always mean good necessarily, but I felt like it was different and it knew exactly what it was trying to say and exactly what it was doing. And my bigger issue with the first two films of the David Gordon Green trilogy, which I've I've come to like in my own way, was that it was, they were trying to do too many things. They were trying to... You always hear producers say, oh, with that reboot, we're going to, you know, we want to honor the old fans, but make a story for a new generation. And anytime I hear that, that's like a red alarm for a red alert for me, because that's hard to do. And also that just sounds like you're almost market researching your movie too much. And you're, you're depending too much on trying to please very many different audience members. And I don't think that's the key to telling a good story. Halloween ends to me felt like oh, this is, I've never seen this in a Halloween movie and this kind of feels like what David Gordon Green really wants to do, right? So there's so there's that. And then also, 
just aesthetically, it has style. Like uh, the older I get, I think atmosphere and style go a long way for me in a movie, especially a horror movie. Um, something I love about that first movie, I mean, and I think this kind of sets the template for Halloween movies in general for me, is that it has atmosphere. Like it just everything feels heavy. And like Michael Myers is seeping into everything, even though you don't see him a lot. And that movie felt like the, the Halloween ends felt like that for me, even though you really don't see him a lot. And this, you, like you feel more of the omnipresence and his shadow over the town and the effect it's having on other people, which I think is what the film is about or specifically the effect evil has on other people. And I hadn't really seen that done in that way since the first movie. I mean, I think all the movies deal with evil in some kind of way, but that actually does what the producers want to do, right? It actually does honor the old thing while being something new in a way that I feel like the other movies didn't. And I feel like because it wasn't trying to do that necessarily. Yeah, I think the, I think that that kind of sums it up big picture wise for me. I mean, I could go on and on about individual scenes and the music and just the the it just feels like a gutsy movie. I don't know. Like I said, I like that uh, Alien versus Predator Requiem with kids getting eaten in, in utero by xenomorphs. And this had a little bit of that with that opening scene like that. Yeah. It just, just went hard, man. I was, it, it jolted me. I was like, OK, cool. Now I'm paying attention. Yeah, I guess kills kind of established that kids were oh actually no actually the original um sorry not the original the uh halloween 2018 kind of did establish that hey kids aren't safe because uh obviously the kid that gets back into the that little kid and i remember yeah. like the gasp when um that death scene happened um and i was going to say well th- this sh- sort of says from the get-go like the, the little kid um uh, jeremy who dies at the beginning of the film like he's uh you know no no no, no one's safe <laughs> type of thing. yeah no yeah sir, yeah it's funny because i i always I, I think about that a lot. I'm like, well, is Michael Myers a child killer? Because in the first movie, they're technically what 16? I think most of them in the first I'll 17, yeah. 17. Yeah. And you know, I think if Michael wanted to, he he would kill Tommy and Lindsay in the first movie. So I always think like, I don't know, it's like our 17 year old's children. because uh, in that case he's always been a child killer, right? Um he seems to he seems to draw the line at babies. Like he won't kill a a baby because we see him in that um second movie go into the maternity ward and then yeah. and then exit although i don't know he also there's a good chance that fire could have killed all, kill all those babies at the end of it. i don't know um and then in the uh and then the halloween 2018 we also see him you know look down the crib and bypass that baby so um but that, i don't know that kid that the kid in the truck he kills in the remake that kid can't be more than like 10 or 11 right like yeah. he's he's pretty young yeah and what about the um the kids that um stole candy or um in the Halloween Kills? They're about like twelve, thirteen or so, right? Oh, you're right, you're right. Yeah, and one of them dies, right? Because yeah. he sees the skull, the the whoever the skull kid was. Yeah, he he ate it, I think. Um, yeah. So I and I and look, I don't want to sound like some edge lord asshole. Like, oh, a horror movie kills kids. It's a good movie. Yeah, and that's not what I'm saying at all. But like, I think. At the end of the day, I respect movies that have very committed decisions to what they're doing, especially if it's um, something that could be controversial or transgressive. I don't think just being controversial necessarily makes it a good movie. But once again, it comes back to do you know what you're doing? Like, did you make that decision? Did you know why you were making that decision? And can you follow through with it in a way that is aesthetically effective? And I think Halloween Ends very much does that. Like, it just has a confidence to it that those first two movies I think, I think are missing a little bit. I think the first two movies are just weirdly trying to be everything to everyone. Um, would, which I, and, and I don't know. I, I was reading about to say we suspected that three was maybe ends was maybe the pitch that Dan McBride and David Gordon Green had originally. Cause I remember reading, they had said, Oh, we were either going to try and do it like all in one movie 
but then we decided to do one to see if we could kind of get the approval from both fans and the studio. And then we could do our crazy idea. So I, I had always wondered if maybe that's what they wanted to do originally. And Blumhouse is like, yeah, but you got to do like a legacy sequel first. Cause I still wonder what it would be like. And, and once again, I like those first two movies, but I wonder what it would be like to just start with ends after mm. like, if you have 78 and ends, like that's kind of cool, you know? I, yeah. Cause I uh, listened to Halloween ends uh, on Halloweenies again, just to sort of uh, get in sync a little bit, but um, yeah, it had me thinking as well. It's like, could you do the first Halloween as is, and then have Halloween ends be the sequel? Obviously you'd have to tie up some loose ends, whether, you know, Karen survives or do you get rid of some legacy characters? Do you even include some characters like is potentially could Corey have been introduced as like going to the same high school as, um, as Allison and, and, and maybe kind of had a crush on Allison, but the boyfriend was, you know, picking on him or like could have been intertwined that way. And the more I got to think about it is it goes, oh, it just like, it was either, you either had to start hot with Halloween ends or how they kind of started. Halloween ends is the only movie that we really care about Allison because she wasn't really, I mean, you can argue and say the first one a little bit more so with the cheating boyfriend yeah, yeah if you came in hot with Corey and allison i don't know i don't know if you would really have as much affection for alice allison the character because like you know she's kind of been in the background of the previous two movies so you you kind of already know her and the and then you, you know you feel more for her in the third film i don't know if you could have just gone straight into that i feel like there would have had to be some serious background on her as a character that's that's just me yeah yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think Allison is the is the um sort of X factor that you'd have to figure out, right? Because we would buy that Lori would have gone through all this trauma and had to have gotten through that. But with Allison, it is important that you see that change in her from the first two movies to this one. And because that's part of why she relates to Corey, right? So I mean, I, I part of me wonders, okay, like or do you just do I mean what could be interesting? Like, do you do you just do the uh do you do ends? Laurie Strode doesn't have a granddaughter or, or maybe maybe she does or maybe she has a grandson and it's Corey or maybe you just make this the Allison character whoever it is you take the person who's related to Laurie Strode and you have them you know be uh tried for manslaughter for this Jeremy kid and then it's just about them Laurie trying to like save their their grandkid from fall from letting evil in and letting evil infect them but that's a different movie because I, I like the love story a lot in Halloween ends and I, I agree I think that if we don't if we just throw Alice into this love story and that's all we know about her into this kind of twisted romance, but we don't have the sort of wholesomeness from the first two movies. Yeah. I think you're right. That it, it's not quite as effective because we haven't seen that shift. We haven't seen that change or that descent. Cause in my mind, I was like, Oh, we could use this from Halloween 2018, maybe potentially this from kills. And then that could sort of sink into Halloween ends being like the second sequel, like type of thing. Well, hang on. That's just way too convoluted. <laughs> and, yeah. and, Halloween, like I said, is it held to a different standard? But is it also can it be sort of pretentious in the sense that you kind of need to know a little bit of backstory to to understand it? It's kind of like, can I watch the second Lord of the Rings, not watching yeah. the first type of thing? And yeah, on its own, you can. It, it is what it is. It's a scary movie, but because there is like a bit of a background with the Laurie Strode character, Michael Myers, can that be lost on people who are who went to see these David Gordon Green films? And then like like we'll just eliminate that. What if I hadn't seen any Halloween and I come in right on ends? Yeah, I mean, I think you could probably still follow it, right? I think they, they do a pretty good summary in the beginning when Jamie Lee Curtis is writing that book. Um, but yeah, would it be as effective? I don't know. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm wondering what it's even like to just have seen the first movie and then 
this new trilogy because I don't know many people who have done that because everyone I know is like a horror fan and <laughs> obsessed with Halloween. I mean, even my wife, who's not a huge horror fan necessarily, but um, just by proxy has like seen all, all the other Halloweens and hears me talk about them all the time and knows the convoluted history of it. I mean, I'd imagine it. I don't know. I'd imagine there wouldn't be quite as much dramatic weight to it, right? Because I, I do think, I even think you kind of weirdly need all those different timelines of the sequels because for me, that makes it hit that much harder because I'm like, oh, we've gotten so much messiness over the past couple decades and this is kind of bringing it back home for me. But, you know, I say that, but then I'm also reminded of, oh, well, there's also a ton of people who hate Halloween <laughs> and maybe, maybe, maybe they need less weight behind it. I don't know. Is this the most hated entry in the franchise thus far? I yeah, it's. I don't know because I, I don't know what to trust anymore. Because like, I'm not on Twitter anymore. I got Twitter a while ago, but when I was on Twitter, I feel like Twitter gave me a skewed vision of the world and what most people care about. And if I was going just off Twitter, I would, I would have said it's pretty divided. Because I remember we were all tweeting a lot about it when because we we all saw a press screening of it and we and we we're all surprised how much we loved it. And so we were kind of like singing its praises also too, because all of our listeners expected that we were going to like, just hate Halloween ends, like wanted us to like rip into it. And then we didn't, we were like all like really surprised about it. And so if it was going off Twitter, I would say it would be like a pretty even split. Right. But I'm here, I'm going to do this because last time I looked this up on letterbox, are you on letterbox? Do you have a letterbox account? Yeah. I've recently joined uh, up and I'm trying to get my street cred uh, by reviewing heaps of movies. So yeah, no, yeah, I, I, it's fun. We we do a thing over at Losers Club, the uh, Thirty One Days of Halloween Hell, where me and two of the other hosts like post an in depth review every day. And uh, so through in October, I'm really active on it. But then outside of that, not as much. Anyway, Letterbox I feel like is a good um, indicator, good kind of barometer for that, yeah. right? Because it's it's just film related. So I'm looking at now. I don't, let's see how many ratings. I don't know how many ratings it has, but it's at a two point one, and that it's like really low for Letterbox. Like that's almost below a two, and so I. I, I don't have all the Halloween um, entries in front of me on Letterboxd, but like I would imagine that's probably the lowest of any Halloween movie. Um, and I think Letterboxd is a fairly accurate barometer of, of how film people feel about these, right? And that's surprising. I don't know. That's surprising because I, I fucking love this movie. Like, I, and I, I've watched it. I don't know. I rewatched it for this. That was probably the fifth or sixth time I'd seen it. And I keep expecting to like not like it when I put it on again. Like, oh, okay, maybe I was getting sucked into the hype and just being excited about the new Halloween movie. And it's, it just, I like it more and more every single time I watch it. And I think it's actually more thoughtful and more different. And just, I just think it's kind of like a killer movie across all fronts. Even, I feel like the the kind of issue I had the first time when I saw it was, oh, well, the, you know, I love all the new Corey Allison stuff. But I, then at the end, it kind of feels like it just has to be a Halloween movie and have Laurie fight Michael again. But I actually really like that now because I think it's very thematically sound. I think the whole idea of it is that she's seen the way evil can affect other people in a town and they succumb to it. And now she has to not succumb to it, right? Like, so I, I feel like it's very much, I feel like the end fight with Michael is very much tied to everything we've seen with Corey going forward. Like, yeah, I love this movie, man. I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to change my. My I have a as four and a half on Letterbox. I'm changing it to five now because because uh, just talking about it here with you and rewatching makes me feel that way. So anyway, I do think right now it is still maybe the most hated Halloween movie, even more than like five or six now. Like because the people who do hate it just I felt like they you don't see a lot of middle of the road reviews for this movie. I feel like people either like ride or die for it, or they're like 
this movie just flabbergasted me and blindsided me. And how could they, they do this? It's stupid. It's not a Halloween movie. There's not enough Michael Myers in it. I don't care about this dumb love story. Like, because it's so different, the hate rings that much louder. And so does the love for it. So I think we're still in a period where, yes, it is the most hated Halloween movie, even though I disagree uh, passionately with that. I completely agree. The next question was going to be why so much vitriol, I guess, towards ants. But do you think this, like, say, in about 20 or 30 years, this is going to be the equivalent of Halloween 3, which is now a fan favorite? Like, because people went into theaters back in 1982, be like, oh, Halloween 3. Be like, yeah, it's Michael. And some people are asking in this movie, Halloween Ants, <laughs> where's, where's Michael? Michael? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but then I feel Halloween 3 has its um, section of uh, fans now. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I th- I think you're absolutely right. I think, and it's funny. This movie knows it's in relationship with Halloween three, right? With the oh, the credits oh, of the same yeah. font. I think even the Michael thing has, you know, I think that was a conscious choice of that from them. You know, I think they knew they were like taking a big swing with this movie, and it did pay off. I mean, financially, it did very well. So yeah, I yeah, I think it's totally going to be a, a cult classic in the next like ten years. And you you know why also because. Every single Halloween movie, even the Rob Zombie ones, even five, they all get their defenders over time. Like, and I, I don't know. I it's easy to get really pissed off when you don't like a Halloween movie. That certainly happened to me, right? But the longer these movies go on, and there's all these different timelines, I feel like it's, I've said this on the podcast before, but I feel like I start to look at it almost like like fairy tales or something. Like I don't get mad when there's a bad Cinderella movie because there's been a million Cinderella movies, and I, and it's the good stuff is always going to be there to go back to, and the the property, the IP will always be there for people to do new and interesting things with. And that's how I kind of feel about Halloween at this point. I, I I try, I can't take it too personally. I just look at it like, okay, well, we got this kind of Halloween movie with this. We got this one with this. I think because of that, every movie, every one of those movies finds its champion at some point. Um, and honestly, and this is, I actually have a bit of an issue with this. I, you know, I think we're in an age where in the horror community, at least like even the most mediocre early 2000s horror movie will get reassessed and suddenly it's a work of genius right and so i think we're just like in the in that kind of mode i think like temporarily we're just in the place where oh yeah i reevaluated this and it's really good and in halloween ends this case it's actual awesome good different kind of brave movie in my opinion so i I think in yeah i think in 10 years people are gonna like people who loved it will be vindicated people will understand and and here's the thing too i think this is maybe what's different about it from season of the witch because you know you and i obviously can't say for certain how audiences like season of the witch back then like i i guess maybe there are people who secretly liked it but not a lot of people saw it and you, you, there's not much about it from the time praising it right it's just like crappy reviews across the board and and that's it, you know there's not as much content back then so it's just hard to find that stuff but like it seemed like it didn't have its audience then whereas it ends it did do well financially and the people and there are defenders of it now who are really defending it. And I don't know if like season of the witch had that, which give, makes it even more likely that's going to get some cult status down the line. Lots of links to three there. Time will tell, I guess, if it's um, if it does become more popular over time. I, I personally think it will. You touch on the the Corey Allison relationship. I mean, I absolutely loved that. I was I actually was really surprised how much in love with them them being in love I was in love with like and, Same, and, yeah. and and I think that goes to say like you know are, are we watching a horror movie here and I think that goes to show as well that for the most part I mean Halloween it's pretty basic it's it's a it's the shape stalking babysitters or stalking his victim or his prey and killing them right and not to say that um store the story in the other sequels have hasn't been there but 
probably more so with this because it's just basically been that formula. Like he 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 escapes or he comes out of nowhere, kills, leaves, disappears. Right? Yeah, that's true. More meat in the story with uh, the you know at least Corey Allison and a bit with Laurie as opposed to the previous ones. I mean David Gordon I guess you could say like the Sarah Connor um, Laurie Strode, but but then I heard an argument being like for someone that was only attacked once in 1978, <laughs> is it a bit bit far to believe how far you'd go into wanting to protect yourself? Like, is that too much? Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, I yeah, and I agree with you. I think part of this movie's greatness is the fact that it's not like, oh, Michael Myers, I mean, he is out there, but he's not active. He only starts stalking people again because um, Corey coaxes him into doing it. And even then, it's not even like Michael is... When he kills that doctor and the um the nurse because that's the only time that's the only time he kills outside of in the sewer and the end right so so even even when michael comes out in this he's kind of killing the two people that Corey brings him to and then going back to his lair he's not even like traveling around town stalking people at this point yeah. i think is a strength in the movie um but yeah to your point about yeah about laurie strode i think that's where i get a little um cloudy on those first two movies is because it's like okay so you have the first one the whole point is, yeah, it's sad what happened to her, but it was just a few people and it was just like one night back in the 70s, right? Like like the idea in the first movie is that Laurie's too focused on this and she's kind of becoming survivalist and unstable and is like does not have the right mindset, right? And then it's weird because you, you think it's kind of saying something about like trauma and holding on to stuff too long and what's the right amount of paranoia and all this stuff, but it doesn't really take a statement that because she is proven to be right. So it's like, you can't really go on like, Oh, well she shouldn't have done that because they're going, well, no, she actually was right. And then the second movie is weird. This, I mean, this is my, honestly, my biggest gripe with the second movie period. The second movie starts. And before anyone even knows that Michael has broken out and killed people, we have this whole bar of survivors who are like talking about this story. Like it's the, the biggest thing that ever happened in the town, which directly contrasts with what we hear in the first movie of that. No one cares about Michael Myers anymore, except Laurie Strode. So it's just interesting because then I, I think that gets like, I think the problem is first two films, once again, it's, it's trying to do everything right. It's trying to, it's trying to present it like one of the town will have moved on, but, uh, but they can't have really moved on because we need the sequel to happen. And it's Halloween and we need mob justice to happen all of a sudden. And so it just get it gets like really muddy, especially in that second movie. With what works, I think, and ends um, the second movie for all its faults. I mean, that kind of brings Michael Myers to like a maximalist level, right? Like, there's no way to deny anything after that second movie because he kills so many fucking people. I I, I counted once; it's like in the th- he kills so many people in Halloween Kills, and so at that point, I at least, like for the second movie for all its faults, I buy that at the beginning of the third movie, those events would have hung over the town in that kind of way. Um, it's still like the movie kind of earns its keep. And I feel like they've, they finally, after two films, they've settled on a consistent narrative for how Haddonfield as a whole views Michael Myers, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Let's look at um, some themes. I mean, themes that I sort of quickly um, took out of Halloween ends. The old, you know, are you, are you born evil? Is it manufactured? Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a big theme here, I think, is that Corey, Corey wasn't evil, but Haddonfield turned him into into evil what's what's your your perspective in the sense that like was it was it always there 
or was it created? And I mean, this sort of goes on to the, I, mean, I guess the bigger question is, did Michael transfer his evil into Corey <laughs> yeah. or did he, did he see something in him? Like, I mean, I mean, and I think the good thing that we can say about this film is uh, it, it wasn't as heavy handed in being like, this means this. And I mean, I think a lot, exactly. of, a lot of horror movies and just films in general are, are very over explaining. And I actually kind of take a lot of, um, uh, I, I I like the fact that sometimes I could take things two ways. Yeah, one hundred. Yeah, and I think now, especially in the era of like metaphor horror, right? Like things like the Babadook and whatever else. Um, which I don't always hate metaphor horror, but I think sometimes, it, yeah, we are expected to be like, well, this thing means this definitely. And I I like the ambiguity or at least the open endedness of um Halloween ends message. It's funny because I was thinking about that as I was watching it last night, and I think for me, it's about. This is why I took away from the movie watching it last night. Once again, this is after watching it a bunch of times. It's that we're all going to encounter evil or at least darkness at some point in our life. And yeah, maybe it was something that was in us that we have to deal with, or maybe it's something that happened to us. Maybe it's a combination of the two, but it's up to us how we deal with it and how much we let it in. Um, because if you look at someone like Corey, who has horrible things happen to him. It was probably having horrible things happen to him before the movie even started with how his you know mom raised him and everything. And then you look at Lori who also has had horrible things happen to her and Allison. Right. And I think they're all sort of different levels of how much they choose to let darkness in throughout this movie. Corey lets in the most, obviously then Allison after him and then Lori down at the bottom. And so for me, I think the movie's kind of thesis is evil is all around. Even evil can spread easily. It's up to us how we let it affect us um, because I think the movie the movie has kind of a fairly optimistic ending. Right. And I think what Laurie Strode does in the movie and what Allison eventually does too, is it, it's a re, it's a rejection of evil and it's recognizing that yes, I think all humans are capable of extremely monstrous acts. Right. Um, whether it's murder, like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I would like to think I'm not a, someone who would ever kill, but under, if some, the, if horrible enough shit happened to me and, or, I was placed in the right circumstances. Who knows, right? Like, I think we all have that potential. And Corey is, I don't know. I don't want to say he's justified necessarily in killing that cop or killing the bullies. But at the same time, these are people who really harassed him, right? And he was put in a position where he didn't have the wherewithal. Like, he he did let the evil in, and that was easier for him. And it starts off as self-defense, and it sort of gradually just becomes... um I don't want to say spiteful, but it be it become it becomes something more like malicious by the end of it, right? Like in the end, in the end, by the end, he's actively just going after whoever. And I think the movie does a really nice job of that. And so I think Corey actively let evil in, um, and that's what ha- to me, in my opinion, that's what happens in that scene with Michael Myers. I, I've read a lot of people think it's like a- the actual physical transference of mm. evil, and I don't think it's necessarily that. I think it's being being confronted with evil and being stared at in the face by evil. And you choosing whether or not you want to absorb it or push back against it. Um, yeah, what do you think? Wait, exactly. We we were like debating on the episode. Like, I think some of us thought it was supposed to be this like physical transference of a spirit or a force, and some of us were like, no, nah, I think it's just him. Like, this the floodgates are open for everything that's happened to him, and then he has this force that gives him another option. Yeah, I I take it both ways. Like, I would be happy if it was just a hey, I'm transferring some evil to you. Like, I'd be like, okay, yeah, okay. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I think it is yeah. more that like he he's been battered down by the town, and Michael saw something in him that maybe he saw in himself as that young child back in 1963, right? 
Um, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Well, that, and that's what's interesting too, because I do think Michael Myers is almost like prime evil, evil. Like he's like the caveman version of evil. Like I think he, Michael, I think at this point is is just like one note. It's a shell. Yeah, like he let the thing in. He loved it, and then just ran with it. I I almost feel like that he's almost like an elemental force in that kind of way. And then it, Corey almost has more human humanity left in him when he encounters Michael, but you, you, but you think that maybe like, you think that Michael maybe like sees that little, little boy who wanted to kill his sister and that, that, that I like that theory too. That's cool. Yeah. Like, well, well he, he's, he told him by the neck, but like, and it's a, it's a plain mask and I'm putting probably way too much uh, heavy lifting into it, but he, he kind of like, he does the head to it and he's looking at him and mm. it's a, he's, he's on him. He's like, Hey, he's like, Hmm, that, interesting as opposed to i'm just going to kill this person right and he can probably see oh he, like he, he sees does is Corey seeing his own visions or is michael seeing those visions that we see like the whole of, of the, the background that's super cool like it always that michael's pov i mean and also yeah. too we see the shapes pov so much in that first film and and also i mean Corey, i'll have to watch that scene again because i was going to say on, on one in one hand michael's in a weakened state so maybe he doesn't have the capacity to kill Corey, but he does like but no, but we hear we hear from that old guy that he's, um, he, he's, he's been killing right every now and then. Obviously, and weaker so, people, or like I imagine that's why there's missing posters of people there, the people who he's been taking into the sewer. That, I mean, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah, because there's that billboard, and so because I was gonna say like Michael could kill Corey there, and he doesn't. Like he lets him go for a reason. I don't think it's just because Corey. I have to watch it scene again. I, don't, I can't remember if Corey like fights back or whatever else. Um, you know what's interesting? Have you read the novelization uh, for Halloween Ends? I, I've sort of a very quick sort of summary, like what what's expanded on and what's not, but I haven't, it's not in any bookstores here. I have to order it by Amazon. It's interesting because in that scene in the book very much does present it as a transference of something like it, like the book much more leans into the supernatural element of it. And the book also um, deals a lot more with the Laurie Strode being vulnerable to that. And the ending is a lot different too. Um, in the book, you also find out, you, you may have read this in the summary, you find out that the old homeless guy was actually like incarcerated with Michael and like worshipped him, right? Which is kind of, I mean, that would have been a lot for the movie, but it's interesting because once again, it's okay, you're being placed in proximity to evil. How are you going to act or uh, react to it? You know, and I, and, and once again, I think the the three kind of totems of this movie, which would be Laurie, Allison, and Corey, they all react to it with uh, varying degrees of severity. Um, and I don't know what and what other Halloween movie are you gonna even be thinking about this shit with, right? Like I think that's what's so cool about it. Just the fact that you and I are having this in-depth conversation about it. It's like I you know, as much as I love um six, for instance, I'm not I'm not really walking away from six so much uh talking about that. Uh the the first one you you are a little bit, but I think it's more about how evil is corrupting a small town or destroying a small town, not so much how it's affecting the individual people around it the one thing i wanted to mention from uh re-watching the film was from the get-go Corey is dismissed straight away um when he's talking to jeremy's mother she like he, he goes to talk to the father about gardening or like you know they'll just ha- having like a general conversation but the mother's like quickly like puts the kibosh on it and it doesn't talk with him but talks at him yeah and it's funny because then you see what his relationship with his own mother is like right mm. and it's um I I think he's someone who's had to have gotten walked over his entire life, right? And yeah, been told to be polite and to shut up and everything. And, and obviously, that's much different than being, you know, physically attacked by a bully or whatever else. But like, I th- yeah, I think I think and I think that's what I meant when I said he's already been dealing with 
being oppressed to some extent, you know, by many people in his life. Yeah, like we we have this the stepdad and that like we don't we don't know who <laughs> yeah. who, who Corey's real father is but um not saying that he doesn't necessarily have like a father I mean there's potentially a father figure there but is there something bigger and this is a massive stretch not that he's saying that he sees Michael Myers as a father figure but is there could there be <laughs> a inkling of that as well because uh, he no I think that I mean I think that's a valid read actually I mean I know it's funny to think of like Michael Myers being a dad um. I mean, I guess he isn't six, right? Because technically, in the depending on which version you watch, the baby it could be Michael Myers is. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you're right. Not not maybe not a father figure, but I mean, look, we see this in society every day. I think people who don't have strong fa- father figures in their lives um, sometimes can be more susceptible to going down a darker path, or if they don't have parental figures at all, because I think. I mean, Corey, if you think about it, I mean, he has a mom, but she's horrible in the movie. And yeah, the stepdad seems like a nice enough guy, but he doesn't really come to Corey's defense at all. Like the stepdad almost see, seems apologetic toward how much he's let. I mean, he's positive to Corey in that like he gives him a motorcycle, he gives him a job. It seems like they connect to a certain level. He tries the same from the bullies uh, <laughs> in the end. But uh, or I guess he doesn't know. He just takes the gun because actually he's going after. I can't remember. The stepdad goes out because. Corey's there, right? Yeah, because the bullies, um, the like bang on the door and be like, "Oh, hey, like help us!" And then he's he sees the the car on top of the girl, and then that's when he sees Corey. He's like, "What?" And then um, he sort of, I guess he kind of stands up to block Corey. I guess there's a little yeah, bit of, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the bully shoots, you know, shoots some back accent. But uh, but either way, so I mean, yeah, he, yeah, but but I wouldn't call him like if my dad acted like that to me, but then didn't stand up for me, <laughs> especially to my demon mom. I mean, my I love my mom very much. She's not even, but if she was and my, and my, I would, I would have some resentment toward that. Right. So like, yes, I don't know if he has any ideal parental figures in his life. So someone who doesn't have any ideal parental figures. And on top of that has been shunned by a whole town and just dismissed outright by everyone. Cause I really don't think, I mean, as horrible as what happens to that, that located in the beginning is, I don't think it's Corey's fault. Like, I mean, he was watching, I mean, it was a horrible situation, but like, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done in that situation. Probably the same thing. Like when he bursts open that door, he's not trying to kill the kid or whatever. Um. So anyway, yeah, I I definitely think you're onto something with him just not having many parental figures at all. I I always I don't know how you feel about this. I always wonder in the beginning when he's trying to burst out of the attic and he starts like swearing at Jeremy. He's like, "You little shit, open the fucking door." I don't know if that was supposed to show. Oh well, Corey had rage in him, or if that was just supposed to be him buckling under pressure because i don't know once again if i was in that situation i i might use that language toward that kid if he's walking into an attic uh but yeah i don't know that I, that's something i wonder about too like oh how like you said how much of that was was he born with was he born with that that sort of like predisposition to giving into rage and perhaps his mother used to lock him in uh small rooms and maybe claustrophobia or something. i mean again <laughs> heavy lifting I don't, I don't know. I mean, I mean, that's what's great about this, right? Because you, you want character choices and you want plot devices that are going to make you wonder about these kinds of things. Like, Oh, cool. That was interesting. What led him to do that? And it's, and it's not, for me, it's not a confusing way. It's not like, Oh, I need more information. It's like, Oh, cool. There's a lot going on here. Where does this stem from? Like, that's what I want from characters and not just a horror movie and any horror movie. I don't, I don't need all the blanks filled in. I just want to see them do interesting shit and then wonder what led them to that, you know? Now I had a broken people, you know, obviously that's Corey and Allison sort of coming together. There's the cancel culture, obviously um, Corey being shunned and canceled for, for this, for this accident. What other themes, I guess, 
uh, a prominent in in your opinion just one other thing i wanted to say about the like you know choosing to let evil in um is that we that one of my favorite scenes is where jamie lee curtis or, or laurie goes to him when he's sleeping in the uh what's the family in the beginning jeremy's uh family i forget their last names oh yeah um yeah their name eludes me but yeah jeremy's it, mom and yeah, dad's house <laughs> either way yeah when, he, when you sleep in there Laura, and laurie enters and she offers him another way out you know she offers him help she like mm. uh, she she i mean she has, she says you have to stay away from allison which is um you know the a big <laughs> that's kind of a deal breaker for him but point being he does have someone who is offering him a better way and he chooses to reject that and i think that's the difference between him and allison and, and him and Lori because Lori even though she rejected help for a long time, she finally comes around to letting to, Hey, we we're talking to cave before we got on the call, let, letting love in. Right. Uh, and, um, but I, I think that, I think, I think that's not a kind of a sub theme in the movie is that like salvation is within all of our reach, but we have to actually reach for it. Um, we have to recognize when, when we're being offered a better path. Um, and it's funny because you know, I think about like everyone else, I think about cancel culture a lot and I, you know, we don't have to get into like which artists I think should not be canceled or something like that. But I, it's interesting is there's, there, there are degrees of transgressions. I don't think every artist that gets canceled or every person that gets canceled has done a, a similar thing. I mean, there, there's levels to it. Right. And I do think we've gotten to a place where some people maybe want people who have done horrible, uh, commit horrible actions to go away. Um, and even if they go to prison for the rest of their life, which it doesn't usually happen, but even if they do, that's just not how that works, right? Like they still exist as a person on this planet. And I'm not saying people have to engage with them. If, if you think someone's done something so horrible, you don't want to talk to them again. I get that. But I do think there is this bit of a an, a mindset that, I mean, it's called, and it's funny. I know people say, oh, cancel, cancel culture doesn't exist. It's accountability culture. And I think when I say cancel culture, I'm not, I'm not really referring so much to the, the act of trying to bring someone down. I'm referring to the fact that once they are brought down, I think people would just as soon rather not think or talk about them again. And that's interesting to me because they're still there. They're still out there. Right. And, um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much the movie is commenting on that or engaging with that, but I thought about that with Corey. Like, I think there are people in the town who would just, yeah, he was, he wasn't, he was acquitted and rightfully so, I think, but I think there are people who would rather him just prefer he is dead or doesn't exist, you know? And, and if you're being, if you're trying to find some kind of redemption or a path forward or recovery and healing, I think for people just to pretend like you don't exist that I don't know if that's the best way to assist you in that, you know, but then, but then it's complicated. Cause I know that then once again, you also have to be willing to take that help um, because that's the other part of it. I think, I think if someone gets quote unquote canceled or shunned or whatever else, I think the two parts of the equation are they have to actually want to, be rehabilitated and, and get help and admit what they did. That's, that's the first part of it. And then there have to be people there who are willing to give them that shot and be a resource for them. Um, and I don't know, I'm kind of rambling now. I don't know if Cor I don't know if Corey so much fulfills that because I, I don't personally think what he did was like his fault or even makes him a horrible person, but I feel like the rest of the town does. So it's a little bit of a different situation i don't know if any of that makes sense well i'll tell you uh when Corey, um spoiler alert does die i feel like yes. uh for me personally <laughs> i'm like well he's kind of you know in you know on paper is the bad guy but we kind of feel a bit ah, uh, uh, that's kind of disappointing maybe oh, yeah no i i want him to get better throughout the movie um i wanted him to I mean, uh, continue the series 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, and that way I think that I haven't read the draft or anything, but I read that that was an option. Like they were going to look and he would be gone and he would be like the new Michael Myers. I, and I think they, I think they still could have killed Michael how they did and still had all these themes and that could have worked. Right. Because th- that would still, that would be the theme. I mean, it would be okay. He let evil in and he walked away and now he could infect someone else with it. Right. Um, and, but also, you know, once again, a lot of people die. They've earned that happy ending to an extent. Cause I, cause I'm thinking of the people I'm trying to think, say Corey in the end did say Corey wanted redemption in the end. Would I be okay with that as a movie? I mean, I, I think what they were talking about is like he would live and just be Michael Myers and that, so he wouldn't be redeemed. But say he did want redemption in the end, because I was also sad when he died. I was trying to think like, oh, all right, what, what are the who are the people he kills in the movie? It's like the DJ who, yeah, probably doesn't deserve to die, but was kind of an asshole, you know. Um, the bullies who there's like the one bully who's kind of sympathetic to him, but she still didn't stop anything. So they, that, once again, I'm not saying these people deserve to die, but if we're going off of horror movie rules of like. Who were you rooting for when they died? Like, yeah, the bullies, they have like, cool, they got it. Um, the doctor and the nurse were just kind of like annoying, but they were still like kind of shitty people, right? So, so I think in like horror movie rules, I could have forgiven him for like all the, all, all the, oh, and his like horrible mother. Like, it, it wasn't like he actually killed, he didn't kill Allison, he didn't kill Lori, he didn't kill, uh, Hawkins, you know, he didn't, he didn't kill anyone who's like actually a good person in the movie. So maybe, maybe had he been redeemed at the end, I could have been on board with that and forgiven that. Would you, would you, could you have forgiven Corey if um he did seek redemption at the end? Um, I probably could, but it would definitely finish different. I think um the, it, it does have impact that, um, that him dying, but obviously he was on his way to kill Laurie as well. So maybe that might yeah, have, um, might've changed it as well, but I'm glad you picked that up now. I come up, I came up with a really, really crazy theory, which I, I don't sort of uh, subscribe to now, but I want to um, just, uh, if you could lend your ears to Alison being a witch theory. Wait, did you make this up or is this something that's uh, out there? No, I, I kind of made this up, but I tried to put it out there, but it didn't really grab my, it didn't really, it got a little bit of traction on Facebook. That's about it. But um, <laughs> anyway, so obviously there's the the Halloween three Easter eggs, obviously season of the, the movie called Season of the Witch. Uh, tarot card, death, significant, a new beginning, find, you know, finds a tortured soul, i.e. Corey, someone mm-hmm. that could, uh, you know, do her bidding. All right. Um, it's, and and, and this is no way uh, like a, a, on the script writing or women in general who are who are forward, but she seems to fall in love with Corey or be infatuated with him. Like as soon as she sees mm-hmm. him in the the hospital, right? Like which is you know that that that's fine. Like obviously you know broken souls kind of you know um, seem to go towards each other, but it's it's it's, it's a bit odd and. What I also found was uh, uh, at the Halloween party, he's wearing the scarecrow mask. Now, um, mm-hmm. no, she had no intention really of going, but all of a sudden she has a date to go with now. She's she's obviously really keen to go. Um, even picks out the costume, a scarecrow, which is a symbol of death. Yeah, and I associate like scarecrows kind of, I don't know, with witches. I don't know if there's anything accurate to that. You know, in the beginning of Halloween 4, we see both a witch and a scarecrow as Halloween decorations. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, while the dancing party now, I know this was just, I guess, foreshadowing towards the end there where she's hovering over uh, Corey as he dies. But I say that's where she casts the spell on Corey because he's laying on the, the floor and she's doing these <laughs> hand movements. And if you watch it, like the like the, the sound, it kind of like it slows down. It sort of becomes, you know, slow motion. But, you know, that's just yeah, it's a trippy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and what else did I have here? Uh, you know, she casts a spell, does it in plain sight, so no one will notice because they think that it's dancing. Uh, literally uh, wanting to burn down Haddonfield, in which Corey says, you know, he will like the match. She she never asks where her murdered ex-boyfriend or or the her co-worker or the doctor are. Like, if the doctor didn't rock up to work, you'd be like, oh, hey, where's uh, where, where's uh, doctor, you know, the one that picks on me all the time? Like, is, is it, yeah. was it his day off maybe? I, I don't know. There's a cut scene of Corey and Allison on the bike right after he kills the um the doctor and the her coworker the nurse like like I mean that's just you know that's just you know film film trickery there but uh, <laughs> leaving Haddonfield um is she going on to you know uh, Santa Mira to um cast more spells on other people or you know well I mean I think the 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 Allison story is she had to get out of Haddonfield because Haddonfield was poisoning her because of of her history there she for in order for her to grow she she needed to move on but I kind of just pointed out that. Corey basically only kills people that um have had like he he killed for her in the sense that he killed the 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 doctor and the nurse who you know the whole promotion thing there and I mean the and Willie the kid I think like when he falls off and gets up and he um Willie the kid says something to Corey and she's like Corey stop and he like just stop straight away like wait so so you're talking you talking about which like 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 she's controlling him kind of thing that's a that's your game like a spell on him like and, and maybe because like and you know and then maybe that's why michael could see something in Corey that there was an evil spell on him ah that you know i, I had to admit i had, hadn't crossed my mind before but that's not to say it's not valid and uh you know i'm sure i'll <laughs> I'll, I'll watch the movie again i'm sure before the year is ended so i'll have to view it through that lens uh at this point no it's batshit crazy like uh, i i at first i was like <laughs> oh i could be on the subject here but then I've, I've watched it a few more times i think now nah, i think I'm... And you, you know what know it where it gets a little a little tricky is i think at the end because i think at the very end she does seem kind of surprised that oh my god Corey is doing this stuff my grandmother was right you know and i feel like she has that pivot where she tried i feel like if she was a witch she would she would admit then like oh yeah i know then i've wanted to you know what i mean because she has that change of heart so i yeah. I, I mean i don't know i don't mean to punch holes in your theory like it's it's an interesting oh, no, one punch I'm, away <laughs> it's terrible. And, it's and, terrible and i'm definitely gonna uh watch it through that lens next time and i'll have to let you know what i think <laughs> we've kind of already touched on the transferring of evil and all that but uh you know it was michael's mask a silver shamrock mask but that kind of doesn't make sense because of the clown outfit that he wore in the original it's like well does that does that translate is that a silver shamrock yeah, what am, all right i might i should have i should have re-listened to our episode or or done some research on this before coming on but wasn't there an end an alternate ending where they were going to show like the silver shamrock factory or something and that they were going to be mass producing these Michael Myers masks. Look, I, I don't know if that's a fan made and like, cause I saw heaps of fan made endings where they like had like a real Halloween yeah. three ending, like with the credits and things like that. I, I, I'm it's, it, that's the thing with online. Uh, it's, it's hard to determine real news and fake news, but I feel like there, there has been all sorts of theories and, like I think there was one that was out there that there was an ending that was filmed where Laurie Strode was possessed um, and, yeah. and, and attacks Allison. So um, that that's sort of it's not quite that, but it's kind of similar to how the novelization ends. Oh wait, yeah. no, no, wait here, hold on, I'm looking on some Fangoria. Okay, yeah, wait, here we go. So in a recent interview with movie, I remember this now. We did we talked about this on the episode. Um, Green discussed this idea for the conclusion of Halloween ends that would have brought things around to the 1982 uh, entry. So he said. Um, uh, okay, 
There's an ending I wrote that we had never filmed, so we never filmed it, uh, or they never filmed it. And it takes place at Silver Shamrock Factory as it was spitting out witch skeleton and jack-o'-lantern masks, and then it started spitting out Michael Myers masks. I had a temptation to go there, but at the end of the day, I thought that's just fan service for people who know what Silver Shamrock is. Um, it was in, it was in every draft of the script we ever published, but I we never filmed it. So you can probably find it out there, the draft. Um, and I think he's right. I think that would have been Silver Shamrocky. Although I will say, we're talking about the transference of evil, it would kind of make sense if Michael Myers mask was Shamrock, right? And then Corey takes it. And then um, I know in the in the season of which the masks aren't used necessarily to uh, transfer a malevolent spirit, but they are used to like pass on curses and kill kids and be activated by different things. So like I, there's maybe a world where they could have made that work kind of. I'm I'm glad they didn't edit that way, though. That would have been like a little silly, I think, you know. Any other random theories that you've uh, come across with uh, Halloween ends that uh, stick out? Oh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if I had. This isn't a theory. This is just like a misinterpretation on my end when I first saw the movie. So there's a it's it's that same scene. It's where um, Laurie and Corey are talking in the the house, and Laura Corey looks up the stairs and he says, um, "I'm I'm paraphrasing, but he says, oh, you want to do it or should I?'" And he's talking about when Lori first meets him and they slash the tires of the bullies, and she says that to him with a knife. Now, when I first saw the movie, I I thought that he Michael was in the house and he was calling up to him like, "Do you want to kill her? or Do you want me to kill her?" And I thought that was really creepy, like that that Michael was just roaming in the house. I I really thought that's what the movie was implying, and I and I just I didn't think it was a repeated line. I thought it was just something directed to Michael, and we were supposed to take it at face value. And then upon watching again, I was like, oh no, I totally misinterpreted that read. But I kind of liked that. I was like, oh cool, if he's like leading Michael around and brought Laurie there for him, you know. But I think Michael probably would have come downstairs and you know gone for Laurie if that was that was the case. Do we see Michael in daylight at all in this movie? I don't think we do. Don't believe really we do. No, no. That might be. Is that a first for a Halloween movie? I think it is actually. Kills? Uh, do we see him in day? I guess we won't see him in daylight and and kills, do we? We see him in daylight in the 2018 when he uh, goes to the gas station. Uh, yeah. And retrieves the mask, and I guess what when he's at the uh, Judith Myers um headstone as well. Yeah, but yeah, but Halloween kills though. I don't think no. it's all at night, right? Yeah. So um, yeah. So I guess kills and ends. I think I think are the first time we yeah we don't. We don't ever see him in. Uh, no, I'm wrong because Halloween two, the fir- the first Halloween two, we don't. That's all at night. It's, it's anyway, a as well. That's a d- dumb theory, but yeah, I don't know if I have any other like any like wild theories or anything like that. I, I mean, I kept wondering if they were going to bring back some, um, you know, because Kills brings back so many legacy characters. I kept wondering if we were going to hear more about uh, Ben Tramer or someone like that, you know, or, or uh, Dick Baxter, or whoever else. But uh, yeah, I don't we don't really get that. I, I should have come prepared. I should have come up with like a witch, a witch kind of theory uh, for it. I will say, I, I think that Scarecrow mask is pretty rad. I was thinking about going as that for Halloween this year, but um, yeah, I, I feel like I need, I feel like I need some kind of like awesome fan theory to to that I that I brought here, but I unfortunately didn't have one. I feel like I feel like the Justin and Matt Gerber they're always good at coming up with that kind of stuff over at Halloweenies, but yeah, I, I unfortunately am not. Before we wrap up, because you've been really gracious with your time, Dan, where to for the franchise from here? In your opinion, could you could we pick up from Halloween Ends and can do some form of continuation, whether that's uh, a, a Corey didn't die, or could could Corey still be the 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 shape moving forward, or could we just we could we pick it up and it'd be like a 
a re a soft reboot of sorts or an anthology because I, I kind of thought maybe you could do an anthology around the Haddonfield the town I initially thought you could maybe do something more specific on um Dr Sam Loomis but yeah I mean that's almost impossible to recreate Donald Pleasance yeah I, I think about this a lot I mean I love how ends ends and to me like I said it makes those first two movies um even better in my opinion so I I kind of like this being its own little self-contained trilogy or i guess quadrilogy if you can count the first one but look we're gonna get more halloween movies that's just how it is i i expect they'll either do the anthology approach or they'll just do a completely new timeline that just maybe just pays attention to the first one what i would like to see them do i don't think it'll ever happen but i would what i would like to see them do um that i've, I've talked about this ad nauseum but I'll, I'll say it here on your on your podcast um you know, some of my favorite Halloween stories are still the, I, have you ever read, did you ever read the uh, devil's do comics that Steph Hutchinson wrote? Um, we interviewed him on Halloween. He's a while back, but uh, they take place in the H2O timeline. So one, two, um, H2O and resurrection. And they take place throughout the entire timeline. So they like, uh, they have all these stories about like the years where we didn't see Michael. They actually have a short story in there called Sam. That's about like Sam's younger life, Sam Loomis's younger life. And then we see how Sam Loomis actually died. Um, they're great. Like I, I, they, and I love that he made the choice to no, I'm going to include resurrection. Like I'm going to respect that timeline. Cause that's all there was at the time that we didn't have the new trilogy. So he was like, and he actually does work in four and five in a really cool way. They're such good stories. I don't think they'll ever, I mean, I don't know. The Akkads own the rights to them, I guess. And I think the rights transferred back to them, much like Michael's spirit, uh, transferred back to them now that Blumhouse is done. So I guess they could. Like, I guess if they wanted to, they they could, and it would be awesome. Like, I would love to see an anthology series that just fills in those blanks of those missing Michael years, which is what we get in Steph's comics. Um, there's also a, a long series called Night Dance that takes place in between h2o and resurrection that um is michael myers but it's like people in another town that's great too and that could be a really nice self-contained one so i i've been saying for years i take one or many of steph hutchinson's comics go back to the h2o timeline and adapt those because i think they could actually bind everything together um they also never got finished unfortunately because of devils do had some uh some issues with um th there's some there's some legal disagreements and everything so uh first death of Laurie Strode never finished that they have one issue yet to come out. And there was a comic called, uh, um, the Mark of Thorn. I think that was, that was going to loop in four and five and that got written, but never drawn. So anyway, I'm rambling. That's why I want to see Steph Hutchinson's comics adapted into film or a television show. That's what I would do. What what would you do? What would you want to see? Uh, like a Netflix sort of like mini series or like a, limited series like i think maybe like a haddonfield type of anthology you could um have michael myers still be a presence like but not necessarily on 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 camera like it like how how the town has has moved on from michael myers but it's it's still he's still like a ghost they're kind of similar to the the john carpenter script for four but mm -hmm. i want to quickly touch on that like i feel like halloween end sort of had a few former scripts kind of morphed into one, like the, the two faces of evil, um, obviously the, that being Corey uh, and the, the, the ghost of Michael Myers, even though he wasn't a ghost in Halloween ends, like there was still a bit of a ghost about Michael Myers. Then I feel like they kind of incorporated that well, but in regards to moving on, I think you either have to go hardcore anthology or do a reboot, or we finally, we finally ship Michael off into outer space. <laughs> 
<laughs> Michael, Michael, J, with Michael in space, Michael from space. I mean, I will say this, like Michael Myers for me, I think this is another reason why this series is endured. I think because they've never had him talk except like kind of in the Rob Zombie movie. Right. And then like that, is he talking? Five? No, he doesn't talk about uh, aside from that. Like they, they've, they've stuck to their guns. I mean, they put him through, through some dumb incarnations, but he's the guy's never talked. And because they've done it, he's still scary. So I think even if they took him to space, that would be scary uh, for me. And yeah, I totally agree with you about like, we always talk about that great lost uh, Dennis Etchinson script for, um, yeah, for Halloween 4, where he is more of this um, spectral presence in the town. And this that's another reason why I love Ends. It's the closest we get to that. Once again, he, it feels like he's kind of always there and seeping into the town's mythology, even though he's like actually not doing anything. My... um. My friend Darren Callahan and I, he's a, a screenwriter and out in LA. We wrote a spec script for Halloween called Haddonfield. Um I, I don't I don't think it'll ever get made or anything, but like um we thought it was pretty cool and pretty good and really good actually. And uh so, you know, people ever want to read it, let me know. I'll send it to anyone you want. But it's uh it's a it's a reboot and it's got a little bit of a twist. So I think it's pretty cool. Um any film studio, if Jason Blum, Blumhouse, any of the guys are the Akkads listening, yeah. hit me up. You can read Haddonfield by me and Darren Callahan. It's a great script. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, send it to the guy, yeah, to the the Akkads at uh, Trankus. Um, because and yeah. again, like um, you mentioned um, uh, Daniel Ferrance with Halloween Six. Yeah, that, that's essentially what he did. He he basically saw Halloween Five, and wrote somehow got in touch with someone with the cards or that and was in their office and was this super fan and you know next thing you know he's writing halloween six you know not what what he wrote what didn't eventuate onto to screen but you know he, he was there and i mean and, and he did the lord's work man like for real like i i've you know i've seen all the documentaries i've read taking shape i've uh you know, read a script like i mean he like i i i totally get the temptation to just do a reboot and ignore stories and just do new timelines especially now like but i keep my prediction is that they're gonna do some kind of multiverse thing for halloween eventually like i think they're gonna do some multiverse shit that like binds together all the different timelines and we'll get a bunch of different michael myers just because that's like in vogue right now and i get why people do that it's tempting to have a clean slate but man i respect those dudes like daniel ferens um and steph hutchinson with the comics who were like now, you know what? These are the movies that came before me. Some of them didn't know what they were doing and just threw shit like the man black in there. But you know what? I'm going to figure out a way to make that work because I feel like that's creative storytelling and that's a challenge. And that's, I, I like respecting what came before and not just giving yourself a free pass. I mean, going back to Chucky, that's why I love the Chucky t- TV series. Like that show doesn't ignore anything in the child's play franchise. Um, Steph Hutchinson's comics don't ignore anything in that timeline. Daniel Farron's script didn't or ignore anything that happened in the series up to that point, which is impressive because a lot had happened in the series up to that point. So um, yeah, just mad respect to all of them. Cause I, 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 I like the stories and I like the writing they've done and also like good on them for sticking to their guns and like respecting the artists that came before them. Absolutely. Now this is uh, hopefully going to be the uh, the advertisement grab for this episode. Why is Halloween the horror franchise? Ah, man. I mean, I guess we've touched on it, right? Like the for me, it's the. I mean, look for me, it's because I saw it. Uh, I saw it at the right age when I was getting into horror. But I think it's that simplicity, and I know I'm not the first person to say that. But it's the Michael Myers never got to a point where he was cracking one liners. He never even really got to a point where his appearance changed all that much kind of in in uh rob zombies with the hillbilly michael myers in the end 
but still it's the mask, right? The mask is iconic. Like the mask is always going to be there. You're always going to have coveralls in some incarnation. You're going to have a big butcher knife and you're going to have that mask. Um, it's varied in terms of quality over the years, right? Like Halloween five, maybe not, not the best mask. Halloween H2O I love, but not the best mask. But at the point being, there's a simplicity to it that I think is just always going to be really enduring. Um, and as much as I love those other horror franchises, I don't know if it has, I don't know if they have that kind of longevity. Um, and you know, like you said, John Carpenter, it's working class. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he was setting out to go. Yeah, that's going to be iconic. That mask and these coveralls. I think it was like, Oh, what, what looks better? The clown one or that one, that one cool. Let's go for it. And so a lot of it's just dumb luck, but I think this convergence of dumb luck artistry and good storytelling and, and, and simplicity has just led to uh, something that's hard to kill. Um, sometimes for better, or for worse. Right. But, but for me, that's, that's why it's the franchise. Dan Caffrey, I could uh, speak to you for hours upon hours, not only just about the Halloween franchise, but horror franchises in general. Uh, I absolutely love Halloweenies and can't wait for the uh, next few episodes regarding Chucky and especially next year, 2024, the Alien franchise. Absolutely looking forward to it. But if people want to get to know a little bit more about yourself, about uh, the the Loser podcast and Halloweenies, how can they do so? Yeah, um, so uh, on social media, I'm just on on Instagram, DW Caffrey, uh, Caffrey, C-A-F-F-R-E-Y, if you want to get in touch with me. Um, you can also go to my website, dancaffreywrites.com. Um, I usually have news updates about podcast happenings, um, theater, if I have any plays going up, or um, I'll, I'll put this on here too, any, any podcasts I'm on. So yeah, please come find me. And for the Losers Club, I think we're just, uh, I mean, if you just Google Losers Club podcast, you'll find it. But uh let me see real quick so I can get our Instagram handle right. I think it's just Losers Club Pod um, on Instagram. But let me let me see Losers Club podcast. Wait, this is weird. Why are we, why are we not coming up on uh, on Instagram? Sorry, give me one second. The Losers Club podcast <laughs> on on Instagram. Sorry, I was like worried. I'm like, wait a minute, Derek. Social media just disappeared. But yeah, the Losers Club podcast on Instagram. Same thing on Twitter. Um, I think uh, that's what is on Facebook or just Google us or email me at my website happy to talk to anyone uh you mentioned the theater there and plays maybe a halloween theater production oh man i well so i had it's funny um i have a play called hat it was also called haddonfield and my friend darren asked if we could use the title for the the script we wrote um and uh it was about i mean still i have still the script i don't know how good it is i I haven't read it in like 10 years but i wrote the script a while ago called haddonfield that was about these three friends watching um horror movies on Halloween night and their friendship starts to deteriorate. And as it does, the movies kind of make their way into the world. So the second act is like they're, they kind of have amnesia and, and our characters in Halloween too. And uh, I remember it being pretty effective and pretty freaky back when I wrote it. I th- I'm sure I'd have to rewrite it a, just cause I'm a, I think I'm a better writer now. And also I think, you know, this was before the um, David Gordon green franchise. I think I would just have to like do some work on, on the horror movies to get talked about but yeah we did a, a few readings of it in chicago um the gerber brothers actually justin and mac they played the two the two leads and were quite good in it um and uh yeah i, I i've been meaning to revisit that for years and years and years um i guess it is metaphor horror now that i talk about it because the idea is that oh all all that holds together this friendship is horror movies so what fades away when the rest of the stuff is gone? It's just horror movies that are left, if that makes sense. So, so their life becomes a horror movie. That's kind of the inspiration behind it. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Maybe uh, 
maybe one day. Um, I, I should not, this is kind of making me want to go back and do some re editing on it. Halloween on Broadway. Oh, be awesome, man. Uh, there, <laughs> there was a show, I can't remember what the, what the company was called, but in Chicago, there was this annual show called Carpenter's Halloween. And it was all, it was this company that, um, they, they staged Halloween, but like Dr. Loomis was a puppet, like a few, like some of the characters were puppets and some weren't. And it was set to Carpenters, like the band, the Carpenters music. So, so like, why do birds suddenly appear? It was like, it was awesome. And it was weird. It did all of Halloween in a really goofy form. Then we just had these Carpenter songs. But I remember the bit I always remember is when Michael, when they get to Haddonfield and Michael Myers enters the theater it was just a guy dressed as Michael Myers, but he had the car on his head like a mask. Like that was how they they did him driving around. And it was funny because it, on one hand it was very amusing, but I was still kind of scared by him because it was still a guy walking around the theater in a Michael Myers mask. So uh, yeah, I don't know if they still do that or not. They they also, speaking of our next season, they did something called um, a show called Alien Queen that was aliens, but uh, set to queen music. So yeah, I'll have to look them up. I don't know if they're still around. It was like over a decade ago that uh, that we saw that. Dan Caffrey, you've been very generous with your time. Like I said, loving the Halloweenies podcast, uh, the the Losers Club, and uh, like I said, I could we could uh, catch up later in the year and talk more Halloween and horror franchise stuff. Oh, anytime, anytime, want me back? Happy to be on. This was so so fun. I'm a big fan of the show too. I know you guys just started, but uh, yeah, love the Sandy Johnson interview. I need to listen to the uh, Daniel Farren's one. I'm I'm really excited for that. But uh, yeah, ex- excellent interviews and. Um, Hey, man, I'm always down to hear another Halloween podcast, and this one's a good one, so uh, happy to be on. Thank you for listening to Talking Shape, the ultimate Halloween franchise podcast created by the fans. Make sure to stay up to date with the latest episodes by following Talking Shape on Twitter at Talking underscore Shape and liking us on Facebook. Feel free to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We appreciate your support. Until next time. Go home. Go home.